0: This week's episode is brought to you by the CommuniCore Weekly web store. Visit it at CommuniCoreWeekly.Spreadshirt.com, including the brand new design, the Cory shirt. Man, she's going to love that one. CommuniCore Weekly! Hello and welcome to CommuniCore Weekly, the greatest online show and home of the world's first pair of independently born identical twins. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And I'm just eating all just chocolate over here.
1: Chocolate? Mm Mm-hmm. I love chocolate. You got chocolate? I do have chocolate. Do you want some chocolate? I ain't got no chocolate. Well, I can send it to you. It might melt a little by the time it gets there.
0: Yeah. well, yeah. I mean, it is kind of warm, I guess, in parts of the Midwest right now.
1: I think it's warmer there than it is right here.
0: Yeah, probably is, because you're in California. That's true, but it's I do have course. lots of chocolate to keep me company. Wow, they let you have chocolate in the building? No. I was like, because they know what chocolate does to you, right? What well, makes my tummy hurt, but I don't care.
1: <laughs> I love chocolate.
0: Turns you into the Chocolate Hulk. I, uh, chocolate Hulk eats. <laughs> that way we can tie it back into Marvel, which brings it back to Disney. Boom. Sale So the it. chocolate is a tax write-off. But, uh, yes. There you go. This is the
1: greatest idea you've ever had, George. I'm trying. I'm trying. I mean, Good work. Good job. Good I job. Speaking of great ideas, now that we talked about chocolate a lot, we should talk about a theme park that deals with chocolate. Ooh.
0: It's time for Disney History.
1: I was talking about chocolate a lot in the intro because we are going to be talking about Hershey Park right now. Yay. And for those of you who don't know... Hershey is also in the name of a chocolate bar hmm
0: did you know that George yeah I had some earlier tonight actually did That's you? Why I didn't have any left oh that makes way more sense now yeah okay yeah yep. so uh, I live with the chocolate monster 11 oh
1: fair enough fair enough yeah mine's 12 so it makes sense to me <laughs> <laughs> so this idea of a quote-unquote Hershey Park goes way back to the town ta- uh, the founding of the town of Hershey Pennsylvania in 1903 on January 26 of that year, Milton S. Hershey made the decision to build his chocolate factory on the farms to the southwest of Dairy Church in Spring uh, Creek, Pennsylvania. And Hershey acquired over 400 acres of land in his initial purchase, which also included the water rights to Spring Creek. Now, having control of these water rights, Hershey also gained control of Breck's Dam, which he wanted to be converted into a lake for boating and other purposes for the recreation of the town and his employees at the
0: factory. Though, though it took some time due to the construction of the factory and <laughs> the town itself. I mean, I don't know the last time I You can't just to build, build a town in a day. Yeah. Hershey Park opened on April 24th, 1907 with a baseball game played on the new athletic field as Mr. Hershey and his wife, Catherine, watched from the grandstand. Hershey Park's original appeal was its simplicity. It was an ideal spot for picnicking, boating, and canoeing. The park was landscaped with graceful trees and wooded groves that provided a shady retreat for thousands of people without being crowded. Like Disneyland's 60th 24-hour event, the original <laughs> main buildings, a rustic bandstand and pavilion, served as a stage for vaudeville and theater productions. On July 4th, 1908, a ground was installed
1: and opened, and an amphitheater was constructed adjoining the pavilion and was described as a model of excellence. Mm. Um, you know it was one of the most acoustically perfect buildings of its kind. Uh, the amphitheater offered a 1,500 tiered seats on a sloping hillside, and the entrance sign read "Ye who enter here leave dull cares behind."
0: <laughs> we had to turn that into a communicable weekly service mark. <laughs> those who listen to us. I'm sorry. Flush on their own terms. That's it. Boom. We'll just go with that. that. Okay. So back to Hershey. Uh, The 1909 operating season saw the addition of two bowling alleys, a tennis court, a large band shell, and a photography gallery. In addition, the scenic railroad was completed and offered guests a relaxing ride through the picturesque area. In July of 1912,
1: William H. Denzel of Pennsylvania, known as the the Great Flying Horse Manufacturer, built a $15,000 carousel. And the carousel was described as the most magnificent and up-to-date carousel in this part of the country, as well as one of the largest. That's a long description. That's for a carousel. very long yeah. So the carousel was 50 feet in diameter and featured 53 animals, including pigs and rabbits and lions and ostrich and deer and goats, not five-legged ones, giraffes, nope. bears, and two chariots. Not a fire, um, just regular I mean, the,
0: the goats would have had a pole sticking out of them, right? I guess that counts as a fifth leg. Maybe. Kind of? Okay, anyway. So almost every year after that, something new was added to the park, such as a, a dance pavilion, one of was known as the Starlight Ballroom, a new stage to accommodate the big band era a new convention hall, which later became the Hershey Museum, the Hershey Park Cafe, and the Hershey Zoo. Which I'm thinking, yeah, chocolate world, chocolate animals, it's going to be perfect. No, no that's, not, that's not what it is, George. it not? No. Oh. So they had like real animals? Yeah, like real animals. Well, they, they, they ate chocolate and drank chocolate milk, right? Yeah, we, we, we'll go with that. Sure. Okay, That's okay, what they like. Right.
1: Sounds good. <laughs> So, to celebrate the 20th anniversary of the community in 1923, Milton Hershey gave a present to the town in the form of the Wildcat, a new roller coaster. Ooh. Hershey ordered the roller coaster from the Philadelphia Toboggan Company, and he actually chose not to purchase the roller coaster outright, but he rented the land that the ride was built on to the Philadelphia Toboggan Company. The ride opened on June 23rd, 1923, and it was called the Joy Ride, and it was later changed to be named the Wildcat uh, several years later.
0: Mm. So the Roaring Twenties brought even more new rides to Hershey Park, including a small Ferris wheel, the aeroplane swing with, quote, electric lights and streamers, and the scooter with a K. In 1933, new Hershey Park attractions included the Bug, a funhouse, the Millshoot water flume ride, and the Penny Arcade. The Wildcat roller coaster was renovated in 1935. Its dips were built up and the curves were steeply banked. In
1: 1941, Hershey Park bought a ride from the New York World's Fair, which was an instant success when it opened. They called it the Aerial Joy Ride, and it marked the last ride to the park uh, that was added until 1945. Due to World War II, unfortunately, you know, and the subsequent uh, war rationing, the park was prohibited from adding new rides or, or attractions. And the Hershey Park Zoo, with regular animals, not chocolate ones, uh, it was shut down in 1942 as a result of the war as
0: well, and actually didn't reopen again until 1950. So, in 1943, Hershey Park remained closed for almost the entire season due to the gas shortages related to the war, and this was the first time the park hadn't been open on Memorial Day or the 4th of July. The park remained closed until September 18th when it opened with a show in the Hershey Park Ballroom starring musician Bobby Sherwood.
1: By 1945, there were more than two dozen amusements and fun devices, in quotes, and the original carousel was replaced by the one that is still being used there today. Uh, In 1946, the Wildcat roller coaster was replaced by the Comet, which is still a family favorite and is ranked in the uh, country's top ten wooden roller coasters still to this day. And the Comet was actually the last ride that Milton Hershey himself purchased before he passed away.
0: So, Despite the growth of the park in the immediate years following World War II, it began to slow down after the addition of Kiddyland in 1949. From 1950 through 59, the park only added four rides, including the addition of twin ferris wheels 66 feet high. And it wasn't until 1960 that the park added another adult ride in the form of Turnpike. The Dry Golds Railroad was added a
1: season later in 1961, a complement to the 50-year-old Miniature Railroad. The former featured a live, steam-powered 440 locomotive named Merida, not the one Mm. from the Pixar film, but a different one, Uh, and it was built for the park by Crown um, Metal Products. And they continued to add attractions both to complement their kiddie land and their adult audience throughout the 1960s. And there was even a monorail added in 1969, alas, not
0: designed by Bob Gurr. And not a chocolate monorail. Not a
1: chocolate monorail either.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, despite the investment in the park, there was an overall decline in it. There were fewer people to pick up trash, and attractions were subject to vandalism since there wasn't a gate around the park. The park got to the point that it was facing one of two options, reinventing itself or closing. Thankfully, they chose to reinvent the park.
1: So in 1971, the first phase of a five-year redevelopment campaign began the conversion from Hershey Park as a regional amusement park to Hershey Park, one of America's most popular theme parks. When we say Hershey Park now, there is no space between the words. Hershey Park has all one word. Mm. Um, This five-phase project was orchestrated by Randall Duell, and the park was gated in 1971, and a one-price admission plan was started, which coexisted with a pay-as-you-ride general admission policy.
0: The initial price for the one-price admission plan was $3.50 for adults ages 12 and up, or $1.75 for juniors age 5 to 11. Children ages four and under entered for free. The general admission plan charged adults $1 to get through the gates, juniors 50 cents, while children ages four and under were again free. This plan allowed people to enjoy live entertainment and any non ride facility. I'm assuming, like the bathrooms? Sure, I guess. Okay. So if they wanted to ride rides, they had to purchase tickets just like any season prior. This was the only season the park had the general admission plan. Also, the park now had five
1: entrances as opposed to just one that they had in previous years. That's insane to think about, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Epcot has two. Yeah, which entrance are we going to meet at? Uh, Yeah, you know, Uh. that that fourth one. Yeah, okay, good. (laughs) Um, But during the course of this five-phase plan, uh, the park received numerous upgrades and ride relocations. Old rides, which weren't maintained as well, were removed, and new
0: rides uh, were appealing to that era's audiences. They were put in. During the 1972 season, the park experienced a massive flood resulting from the rains of Hurricane Agnes. A number of rides were severely damaged, including the park's first log flume, the mill chute, and the park's slide's magic carpet slide, which never reopened. The flooding resulted in a change of focus in where to put rides in the redevelopment as well. For example, the Kissing Tower, which is still one of the most popular attractions at the park, was delayed until 1975. Built on the highest spot in the park.
1: On July 4th, 1977, the Super Duper Looper, the first uh, steel looping roller coaster on the East Coast, opened. Um, And it it, kind of marked the end of the redevelopment project in the park, and the next major ride wouldn't be added for another 10 years. But by the mid 1980s, Hershey Entertainment and Resorts got hotel investments behind them, and they were able to build new hotels and new attractions for all the guests that were coming in. You know, a lot more coasters were
0: added, and the park continued to expand. In 1996, Hershey Park celebrated its 90th operating season with the unveiling of a new one-of-a-kind wooden roller coaster, the Wildcat with no spaces, named after the original Wildcat that Milton Hershey originally got for the park in 2007. Hershey Park, well, no, he got it back in, wow, good way to see a period, ladies (laughs) and gentlemen. Okay, so yeah, Milton Hershey originally got for the park a long time ago. Proper space in 2007, Hershey Park celebrated its 100th anniversary. A fireworks show occurred every weekend, and is another aspect of the celebrations, Hershey Park opened the Boardwalk at Hershey Park, a water park area. See, I would have gone with a chocolate milk. See, I don't park find that area. sanitary whatsoever.
1: Well, so do you really want to be going into like brownish water? Well, I don't know. This isn't Willy Wonka. It's not. It's yeah. not. I'm sorry. It's gross. Okay. Anyway, even to this day, the park is continuing to expand. Hershey Park has really undergone many, many changes since it opened in 1907, but what has remained the same over the years is their commitment to provide guests with fun and entertainment in the midst of a beautiful, natural surroundings. And if you really want chocolate, Hershey Park, the theme park, you know, you do have to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Hershey, uh, I think it's Hershey War- World. It's called, which yeah. houses, you know, the factory tour, which is an awesome dark ride and gives you free chocolate at the end. That's free. You can just go and check that out. Mm, I see a communator tour coming up. Right, it's actually you can do it that way. I've been there. I've been to Chocolate World many, many times without actually going into Hershey Park. And oh. I, I honestly it's a pretty cheesy dark ride about the making of how they make the hershey chocolate bars (laughs) that said the animatronics are pretty cool and they're usually always working compared to some other theme parks that have unworking animatronics um i think it's great to be honest Mm -hmm. with you again it's free how can you go wrong
0: that's true that's true i still got to make it up there though yes Um, do. yep so but we want to know what you guys our loyal cadets think about hershey park have you been there what's your favorite thing about the park should the zoo really be made of all chocolate animals i mean hey we're just asking. Give us a call on the Communicore Weekly Goat Line at 424 785 4628. That's 424 785 GOAT. He's a, nerd. He's, a nerd. He's a geek. He's a geek. But we all like to hear him speak. So listen
1: up to the words from his speech. Ah! It's George's Book of the Week.
0: This week's book is Figment by Jim Zubkovich, who was the author, and Felipe Andrade, who was the illustrator. And, you know, this book was very highly anticipated uh, in the Disney Nerdosphere when it was released in comic book form back in the summer of 2014. And what we're reviewing this time is the hardbound compilation of all five of the initial releases, or more commonly referred to as the graphic novel. Uh, I thought the series started off really great with issue number one, the first part of the book. We meet Blarion Mercurial. I don't know where they come up with these names, who is a young Englishman who's been hired as part of the Academy Scientifica Lucidus Institute. And we do quickly learn that he comes from a very poor background and gained entrance rather tenuously based on his merit. And he's also kind of working on a self-directed project that he sees as important, but the chairman of the Institute doesn't. And it has something to do with reading brain thoughts, and unfortunately, it wasn't like the device that, um, from Back to the Future, that Dr. Brown Doc had. Brown on his had. Head. Yeah, but that's it's okay. It does it reads his brain waves? But I don't want to get into spoilers. So there, there is a mishap in which we do meet Figment, or Figment is sort of created, and that's sort of where the adventure actually starts. And as I mentioned, I don't want to give too much away, but the graphic novel does sort of take us into the world of imagination. And uh, and that's where we sort of meet him as Dreamfinder, but he doesn't know that yet, and we don't know that yet. But the two of them must find their way back to London. And if we go back to London, because the director or the chairman of the Institute sees the invention, starts to mess with it, and he pulls some very interesting characters from his imagination, and there are some disastrous results from there. Um, <laughs> I thought, uh, Andrade, the illustrator, really did a great job with the artwork. Thought the artwork was spectacular. It's got a really steampunk feel to it. Sort of like steampunk light, I yeah, guess you could call it. Yeah, steampunk light. And it, it really worked well with Dreamfinder, but you know, the actual, all the Dreamfinder stuff and his contraptions lend to that Dreamfinder mythos or aura, so to speak. And, you know, it, I didn't think it was a terrible graphic novel. I just didn't enjoy it as much as I wanted to. I think my personal hype level was so high that I really was excited about it and it just didn't didn't give me everything I wanted. I don't know what that was though. Maybe to bring back the original journey into Imagination Attraction. Maybe. Which it didn't. Well, anyway. I know you read it too, Jeff. I don't know if you wanted to share some thoughts. Yeah,
1: yeah, I mean, to be honest, I liked it a lot. Um mm. and, you know, this was the second in in the line of Disney Kingdoms releases. The first one was Seekers of the Weird, based on the, you know, uh, based on roley's yeah, Museum okay. of the Weird concept. Yeah. And to be honest with you, I didn't particularly enjoy Seekers of the Weird so much. Um, I, I I'm, I don't know. It, it would have been great as like a three issue thing, but because it dragged out for five issues, I just found it kind of boring. So, reading Figment, maybe that that altered my judgment, but I felt Figment was kind of like a huge breath of fresh air to me. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, just being able to see the various worlds that, you know, the machine opens portals to and, you know, the creatures that are within them. To me, I thought that was really great. And it was a slightly altered new backstory for Figment. But it did harken back a little bit to the original ride concept, which I thought was cool. Yeah. And it was steampunky, but... In some ways, it was a little too steampunky. I think the whole, <laughs> the villains of the piece were pretty over yeah. over the top steampunky. I think that was kind yeah. of insane. But I still I still liked it. it. It really played at our nostalgia, and it showed us things from the original attraction in this brand new setting. And um, uh, you know, yeah. it it showed some cool things that we love from the ride, like the Dreamcatcher that that shows up. Which mm-hmm. you know we're all basically. I was reading it from issue one, going, "When is the Dreamcatcher going to show up? How is that going to play into it?" And then when it did, I thought it was pretty awesome. Um,
0: yeah. I'm not going to say like, how, but I thought it was pretty great. Yeah, don't you don't want to ruin it? I mean, it's it's sort of like what you mentioned. It does sort of follow a lot of what happened on the ride through the graphic novel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With visiting different areas of the ride, not 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 per se. But you get the general theme of the ride itself. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I've I liked it. I've been I've been spending a lot of time reading Marvel Unlimited, so going back and reading the early Avengers and the Iron Man, the new Star Wars stuff, and you can really see the difference in how graphic novels and comics have changed. And I guess I was just wanting something different. from okay,
1: it. That makes sense. I understand that. I don't know. I totally get it.
0: Um. Yeah. But at least it didn't let me out into the graphic novel of. Honey, we shrunk the audience. That's a fair point. I'll give you that one. I'll give yeah. you that one. Yeah, but,
1: I mean, they're bad. doing pretty well with the graphic novel so far. I mean, I don't know if it counts, but the Space Melon one we talked about a while ago, yeah. I think yeah. that uh, we enjoyed that. Seekers yeah. was just okay. And I'm halfway through reading uh, the big Thunder Mountain comic now, and that's pretty enjoyable. It's got a better storyline. Good. Good. And it features Tony Baxter as a character. Well, I mean, hey. his name isn't Tony Baxter. Rilla I did this Tony Baxter, you guys.
0: Isn't it like some kind of gold rush or gold? It, it's the, his character from the big round cube. That's right. Julian, yeah, that's, that's it. it. Julian, that's it. Which, but I liked Figment. Super. To get back on topic, since yeah, we were, yeah, yeah, since we're way off topic. But so um, I think you know, if you have an interest in Figment or Dreamfinder, I think you're you're gonna enjoy the graphic novel. Um, just don't be expecting like a scene for scene of the ride. But that's her I- sure. So you're getting a little bit of a backstory. Yes, is right. where where Dreamfinder came from where Figment came from, where the dreamcatcher comes from. This is the closest we're going to get to ever having
1: the original uh yes. imagination ride back. Exactly. So maybe this is a good
0: um, substitute for it. Sure, sure. Okay, so this week's book was Figment. You don't know what you know till we know you. You, don't know what you just don't know. There's one little fact we bet you didn't. One little fact we bet you didn't know. So the master planning of Walt Disney World took seven years, with 52 months of actual construction, which turns out to be 4.3 years. Now we know you. Sometimes you might see it, sometimes you don't. Hey, look, what's that? It's a five-legged goat.
1: <laughs> Disneyland is turning 60, and man, she is looking good for her age. Was that weird? No, because
0: I'm thinking in theme park years. How old does that make her? I don't know, but still looks pretty good. Yeah, I'm that's not gonna true. lie. Had a little bit of work done. A little bit of work done, but hey, haven't we all? Done.
1: Well, yeah, anyway. Anyway, so as part of the celebration, the Disneyland Resort has added three new shows to its nighttime light-up, including the brand new Paint the Night Parade. Now of course, with anything celebrating the history of the park, there are bound to be some uh, tributes hidden within it. So if you look closely at Tinkerbell's wand during the parade, you'll see a light at the tip of it. Now supposedly, according to one of our inside sources, that light was in the original Main Street Electrical Parade. That singular light. That's pretty darn cool. One light. That's it, though. That's pretty cool. The One rest of the light are
0: now in our living rooms. One little light <laughs> from the Main Street Electrical. No, okay. That kind of works. Might. Yeah, I just need to flip the parade in there somehow. Yeah, but you can you can figure it out. We'll workshop yeah. it. That's cool. We'll, we'll workshop it. We'll get it done. No <laughs> worries, guys. So speaking of something we should have workshopped well before we started it, it's time for this week's year <laughs> winner for the year of a million or so limited time cadets prize. Weekly winner. Um, <laughs> you just added words to the end of that. I now. know. I know. I just try for fun. So, uh, the year of a million or so limited time cadets. This week's prize winner, we'll get to in a second. But first, we want to remind everybody how to join because this is a real thing. We're sending out prizes every week. You just have to email Communicore Weekly at gmail.com. Send us your name, your address, obviously, so we can mail you the prize, and your birthday because we are sending out some birthday surprises as well. So, again, email CommunicoreWeekly at gmail.com. And this week's prize is a copy of Before Tomorrowland, the book, which came out before Tomorrowland. And we reviewed, okay, this always confused me. Okay, so it's an awesome book. We both loved it. Highly recommend reading it in tandem with watching the movie. Well, Well, not in tandem. That'd be weird. No, but, yeah, maybe before. But, anyway, this week's winner is Shauna Barry D., from Oakland, California. Hooray! So, yay, Shauna, yay. So don't forget to email us so you can enter and be part of our Year of a Million or so limited time cadets. And uh, again, thank you guys so much for watching and listening to another episode of
1: Communicore Weekly. Yes, and no matter how you listen to the show, whether you're watching it on YouTube or listening on
0: iTunes, be sure to leave us a comment or a rating. We'd love to hear what you think about the episode. And again, email us at Communicore at gmail.com to enter our prize. Or just to say, hey, what's up, Corey? What's up, Corey? Anyway, also like us on Facebook at
1: facebook.com slash Weekly. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Imagineerding. He's at Jeff Heimbach. And of course, give us a call on the CommuniCore
0: Weekly GOAT line at 424-785-4628. And visit communiCoreWeekly.com, our website. Visit the Store, where you can pick up a copy of CommuniCore Weekly, the musical. You still need to buy a copy of that? Or you can get great shirts at communicorweekly.spreadshirt.com. And of course, if you want your official cadet membership
1: card and some stickers, send us a self-addressed stamped envelope to Weekly PO Box 432 Orange, California 92856 and I will get it out
0: to you right away. And if you'd like to experience some extra parts at Weekly, like some demos of songs or other videos, support us on patreon.com at patreon.com slash weekly and for jeff heimbuck
1: i'm george taylor and for george taylor i'm jeff heimbuck thanks so much for listening guys and gals we'll see you next time on communicor weekly the greatest online show
0: jeff's so stuck in line